O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Thank you, Stuart Kine. Also, our bodies are so wonderfully created. In each 24-hour period, the average, average adult body accomplishes much. Your heart beats 103,689 times every 24 hours. Your blood travels 168 million miles every 24 hours. You breathe 23,040 times every 24 hours. You inhale 438 cubic feet of air every 24 hours. You eat about <laughs> three and a half pounds of food every 24 hours. You drink about 2.9 quarts of liquid every 24 hours. These are average adult numbers. You lose about a pound of waste every 24 hours. You speak about 4,800 words, some more, every, every 24 hours. You move 750 muscles every 24 hours. Your nails grow 0. 0.000046 of an inch every 24 hours. And... You exercise 7 million brain cells, some less. It is no wonder when I ask you how you're doing, you give me an answer that has nothing to do with that. You say, oh, I'm tired. No wonder you're tired. And you think you're tired. Someone wrote this a while back, saying a few weeks ago, a hummingbird came and kind of fluttered right in front of my face. I was stunned. I've never seen one up that close and personal. It was so close, I counted uh, the number of times it flapped its wings. 25 beats per second. That's right, 1,500 flaps per minute. And you can look this up if you want. It is the only bird that can fly backwards. And consider this. With a naked eye, one can see about 5,000 stars. With a four-inch telescope, one can see about 2 million stars. 
With a 200-inch mirror of a great observatory, one can see more than a billion stars. The universe is so big that if one were to travel at the speed of light and head to the edge of the universe, if there was such a thing, I think it's ad infinitum, actually, but it would take you 40 billion years to reach the edge of the universe. So you better get a head start today. Considering the heavens makes us see the greatness of God. If you ever Googled or been around the Hubble telescope site, it would reveal some things to you that would be shocking. Earth is not even a grain of sand in the mass of the universe. And you and I, we are not even a grain of sand on the earth that's not a grain of sand in the universe. It gives me perspective as I think of this now and then, and lately preparing this message, I've thought of it a lot. I'm insignificant to the universe, really. Listen, listen, listen. And yet God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die for me absolutely humbling, absolutely unfathomable. And that prompts a message that I entitle, Humanity, Who, What, and Why. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And as we do this morning, we do with expectant hearts, Lord. We, we want to feast on your word. We didn't just come to hear words. We didn't just come to be entertained. We didn't, we didn't come to see how well someone can put forward a thought. We have come to hear from you. The creator, the shaper, the finisher of this universe. The one who knows us better than we know ourselves. The one who loves us with an everlasting love. Lord, come into this place today in power. May your Holy Spirit do the teaching, do the leading, do the drawing, and in everything, may it lead us back again to your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. It's a number of years ago now, quite a few years ago, Time Magazine featured a story about Peter Sellers. I don't know if that name would ring a bell with anybody or not. He was a very well-known English actor. The article was about him appearing on The Muppet Show. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that or not. Okay. And actually, seriously, he was being interviewed by Kermit the Frog. Now, you know you've arrived. Huh? When you catch an interview with Kermit the Frog. So his interview began with Kermit telling Peter, now Peter, Kermit's telling Peter, just relax and be yourself. Peter Sellers responded, I can't be myself because I don't know who I am. The real me doesn't exist. That was a quote. I have a video. Here it is. Tell John Brown, we are ready to receive him. Uh, Peter, uh, what is this? It was to have been, my dear Kermit. 
It was to have been a grand impersonation of Her Late Majesty Queen Victoria whilst on vacation at Bognor Regis in the year 1888. But, but uh, what went wrong? I couldn't remember what she looked like. Oh. Uh, you know, I, I just love all your wild characters, Peter. But, you know, backstage here, you can just relax and be yourself. Mm-hmm. But that, you see, my dear Kermit, would be altogether impossible. I could never be myself. Uh, never yourself? No. You see, there is no me. I do not exist. I, I beg your pardon. Yes? There used to be a me. Mm -hmm. But I had it surgically removed. <laughs> Uh, can, can, can we uh, change the subject? Oh, certainly, certainly. Keep that little vignette in mind, okay? Now, I suppose Peter Sellers was trying to be funny. He's a funny guy. He was a funny guy. Yeah, if I say Pink Panther, does that ring a bell with anybody? Huh? Yeah. Oh, hilarious stuff. Absolutely hilarious. Because he was a comedian, true comedian through and through by trade. But on this particular occasion, many people picked up on this, his words were anything but funny. In fact, they're downright sad. One of his longtime friends commenting on this particular on this particular interview said, "Poor Peter. The real Peter disappeared a long time ago. What he is now." is simply an amalgamation of all the screen and the stage characters that he's ever played. And now Peter is frantically trying to unsnarl that mess and find out who he really is. And another friend opined, quote, Peter, a very troubled soul. From what I've read, we think, probably suffering from some bipolar symptoms. And I don't know if Peter Sellers was ever able to unsnarl the mess or whether he wasn't. But I do know this, that six months after this interview, at the age of 54, Peter Sellers was dead. Whether or not he did unsnarl the mess or died still trying, Hear me carefully. Peter Sellers was not alone in his feelings. I am convinced that many people go through life wondering who they are. Wondering what they're supposed to be doing. Wondering where they're going. Wondering how they get there. Why this? Why that? Why something else? I'm glad I can say these three words. In your Bible, isn't it nice when a preacher can come back to that? In your Bible, those are precious words. There are many beautiful and insightful psalms. It's the Jewish hymn book, really, and, and uh, David's writing this one psalm that we're going to look at. He's writing it and dedicating it to, if you have a a Bible that has notes over the chapters, it probably says directed, uh, sent to the director of music. 
And today, we're going to turn our attention to the words of a psalm written by David a long, long, long time ago. It's the, the eighth psalm. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, if you would, turn to Psalm 8. And as I read it, and I hope you'll be able to come along with me here, I just picture young David sitting on a hillside, the shepherd boy. He's outside of Bethlehem. He's gazing up at the moon and the stars. His heart is filled with the wonder of it all. And he's taking out his harp, which was probably accompanying him all the time. And he begins to sing. And here's some of the words, I believe, of his song. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. One of, if not, now, say, one of the greatest writings of David, one of the greatest psalms of all. So as David looked up into the vastness of God's universe, he couldn't help but feel his own smallness. So he asked God, this is the most searching question, he said, so what is man that you are mindful of him? What is man, what are we, that you even care about us? Let's study mankind for a minute. Just a superficial study, but one I think you can identify with. I know I can. Psychologists tell us that there are two major crisis periods in life. One comes during adolescence, and the other when we reach middle age. <clears throat> and somebody in here is saying, well, define middle age. Easy. It's when the broad mind and the narrow hips change places. <laughs> now, during the early teens, our bodies go through tremendous changes. I guess the most important thing of all is we, uh, we develop acne. And our feet seem awkward. Our voices begin to change, and as a part of the growing up process, we begin thinking about who we really are. We never thought of that before. And what we're going to do with our life. Now that's adolescence. 
Some of you well-aged adults are still in that phrase, and we hope that you'll step out soon. Adults face some of the same problems during middle age, and we call it the mid Okay, there are only three people here in a midlife crisis. You got me fooled. And we call it the mid-life crisis. You see, our adult bodies go through changes too. I'll give you an example. Our skin no longer has acne. But it loses its elasticity and develops all kinds of wrinkles. We men begin to lose our hair and often start fighting the battle of the bulges. And the print on the page gets smaller and the lights seem to get dimmer. One middle-aged mother came to the conclusion that there was not a whole lot of difference between some of her physical problems and those of her teenage children. She said, take their eyesight, for instance. Both of my children seem to have a real problem with their eyesight. So someone said, explain that if you can. She said her teenage son could stand and gaze into a refrigerator full of food and say, there's nothing to eat. And she said, my daughter could open a closet full of clothing and complain, I don't have anything to wear. Psychologists also tell us that birthdays with zeros behind them are often considered either a blessing, I didn't know this, or a curse. i got to go back and do uh, quite a few birthdays. I didn't know any of this. Yeah, quite a few is right. For instance, we look forward to the birthdays of 10 and 20 and 30 as stepping so, uh, stones uh, on, the, on the road to maturity. We look at the birthdays 70, 80, and 90. Those birthdays are seen as milestones to a triumphant old age. But birthdays 40... 50, and 60 are not seen as milestones, but as millstones around our necks, because that's when we begin to realize that the battle between youthful strength and decay is being won by decay. <laughs> Someone said to me one day, Pastor, you, you, you don't preach like you used to, and you'll be very glad to hear that. Are, are, you, are you mellowing? I said, I think I am, because, you know, mellow, mellowing is the last stage before rotting. <laughs> I really enjoy Charlie Brown's dog. His name is? Anybody doesn't like Stoopy? Anybody in here doesn't like Stoopy? You may now go home. <laughs> Gotta love Snoopy. Gotta love Snoopy. Oh, the Peanuts clips, huh? Yeah, so one night Snoopy stretched out on top of his doghouse there with his pillow, and he's anything. He just he's just there. He just stretched out for the night. And then he says, I can hear my heart beating. And then he says, I can hear my stomach growling. Then he said, I can hear my bones creaking. Then he says, my body is making so much noise that I can't sleep. <laughs> I feel that way sometimes, do you? I feel as if I'm losing the battle and decay is winning. Let it win. 
Someone says, well, I'm just getting older. You're not getting older. How many times do I have to tell you? You're getting closer home, Christian friend. So before it's eternally too late, it's important to find an answer to the question posed by David. So what is mankind that God is so concerned about us? What are we? Where are we going? Why are we here? What's it all about? And by the way, the world has all kinds of answers. They've got it all figured out. I actually now I'm so, I don't, I don't know if I'm just uh, senile, more senile than usual, but, but I just sit and laugh at some of the things people say today and some of the things in our culture. But the world has the answers. There are scientists who will tell you that we're just accidents of nature. We're no more important than the cockroach that crawls along the kitchen floor that you find in the basement. That kind of answer like doesn't satisfy me. Seems to me that the only place you can find an accurate answer is in the Word of God. Aren't you glad that you have pastors and teachers here who believe the Word of God? Yeah. The first answer that it gives to that question, what am I, is this. And I want every ear to hear this. You are a special being. You are created in the image of God. Special in that regard because of a special creative hand. So that's the first thing that I want to leave with you today of just a couple things. Created in his image. And of course, you go all the way back to Genesis 1. God reaches down and he takes the dust of the ground and he forms it into a human body and breathes into its nostrils the breath of life. That's God's breath. So I'd say you're pretty special. That air you're breathing is God's air. That breath you have is God's breath. Adam blinks his eyes, begins to breathe, and he becomes a living human being. And the Bible says he becomes a living soul. And hear me, my friend, as C.S. Lewis said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And that can keep you for the rest of the week, I'll tell you, thinking about that. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. God scooped up the dust and he made a body. But the body was nothing. It was lifeless. It was useless. Until God breathed into that body's nostrils. And that body became a living soul. You, my friend, are special. And then God realized that it was not good for man to be alone. I think he should have consulted a few more men, but anyway, there were none around, so. No, I'm just teasing. I mean, think of this. The man is surrounded by all the beauty of paradise, And God, in his infinite wisdom, says, that's not enough. Ladies, 
seriously, if man's important, and he is, wow. God puts Adam to sleep and takes a rib and forms woman. God causes her to live, and he causes her to breathe, and he causes her to become a part of Adam's life, and she too is a living soul. And if I'm special to God by way of creation, you're even more so. Three cheers for women. That was one and a half. We did well. Now, we have no way of knowing at all. We have no way of knowing how long Adam and Eve stayed in the garden. God's created paradise. Walking and talking with God in the cool of the evening. Enjoying the purpose for which they were to create it. To have fellowship with the Lord God Almighty. Think of that. We give Adam and Eve an awful hard time. Wow. And their purpose is to honor him with their lives. And we're also told that they were created in his image. And we get the wrong impression here, and I want to straighten something out for you. It's not deep theology, but I think it'll help your reasoning power. Created in his image. Not that they look like him, and how would you know anyway, because no man has seen God, but that they think like him, and they can make decisions like he makes decisions, and they are responsible, big word, for their decisions, everyone. Mm. What do you mean by that? Thank you for asking. They can love in the same way that God loves. They can hate the things that God hates. They are mirrors of God himself because God created them in his own image. He created them to be the objects of his life. And so it's important, I think, that we recognize that we were created by God and that we are important to God, and therefore we must not think too lowly of ourselves. I love those extra humble people that, oh, well, it's okay, it's only me, and I'm nothing when it comes to... Come on, come on. Read Psalm 8. As David started to praise the very majesty of God, he realized a great truth. He realized, God, you've made me just a little lower than yourself and the angels. That's pretty high, isn't it? On the ladder of things or on the pecking order. You crowned me then with glory and with honor, and then you made me ruler over all the works of your hands. And being acutely aware of this, I want to add something. Not only we must not think too too lowly of ourselves, but we must not think too highly of ourselves either. For the Bible teaches us Don't think highly of yourself, for your sins have scratched and marred the image of God in which you were created. Didn't destroy it. Didn't remove it. Didn't obliterate it. But it left a scratch on it. Adam and Eve did the very thing. This is the thing that we can't understand, and yet, All these thousands of years later, we repeat the exact same 
pattern. They were, they were told they could do anything. They could go in the garden anywhere. They could have anything. They could eat anything. There's only one thing, one thing that they were not to do. They had all these other things but they, that they could do, and only one thing that they should not do, but they chose to do what God told them not to do. They yielded to Satan's temptation, and all the world tremble, all the world trembles, and all the world groans, and all the world is upset. Even today, even today, look at the world, because of that one act. Yes, all of us have suffered the consequences of Adam and Eve's behavior, not done, and of our own. So, Adam and Eve. Adam lived a long time. They have children. Their children learn to argue and fight real early. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun, is there? You have children? Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. First thing you know, Cain kills his brother. That's the first family of the world. Why? Because they're the product of a sinful environment, and they learned it, guess where? From their parents. We see that in our offspring, in our children, maybe in our grandchildren, certainly not in our great-grandchildren, but never. They learn from us. The very thing we were created to do, we don't do. We were created to do what? Walk with God. We were created to do what? Talk with God. We were created to do what? Have fellowship with God. But now we can't because there's this great chasm between us, and that chasm is created by sin. Don't blame it on Adam and Eve anymore, by our own sin. So not only don't think too lowly of yourself, but also you need to learn, don't think too highly of yourself either. See, there's danger here. If we think too much of ourselves, pretty soon we'll start thinking like this. Well, I don't know if I'm really created in the image of God. I don't really know what that means. I certainly don't feel like God. I don't look like God. I don't sound like God. I'm not as big as God. I'm not as powerful. I don't, I don't, know, if I, I don't know if I believe that stuff. And what's that mean, anyway, in the image of God? Yeah. You know, rather than that, I, I, I see it this way. I think we're all little gods. I'm a god. I'm God. So what are you going to do with your life? Well, if I'm God, and I don't need him, I'll just control my own life, and I'll control my own destiny. And who's going to control your eternity? But on the other hand, we can become so focused on our sins that we're totally defeated. I've met so many people like this and walk around feeling that we're not worth anything at all. Remember what I said, if you, if you study the whole cosmos? I mean, we're smaller than a grain of sand on this earth as far as our universe is concerned and as far as all the universe or the creation of God. That, the, our universe is but a, but a small piece of sand in comparison to the whole thing. So it's, you're right in one sense to say, well, I am insignificant. I'm so small. I'm nothing compared to anybody, anything, or, or God for, for that matter. I'm worth nothing at all. See, that's where you're wrong when you bring the word worth into it. There is a happy medium that must come from all this. And here it is. I am created in the image of God. 
This is worth noting. I don't think I have it on the screen for you, but it's worth putting in your notes. I am created in the image of God, but that image is scarred by my sin. Now here's the news you've been waiting to hear. Jesus makes us able once again to reflect God's image. <laughs> and the major point here is that Jesus makes us able once again uh, to reflect God's image. And in, in other words, in other words, what does that mean? To be the kind of, listen carefully, to be the kind of people God intended us to be from the beginning. And that is, uh, that statement is so pregnant with meaning. It's so full of life. It is so transforming. I am going to say it again. God, give me breath. What does that mean to reflect the image of God? Listen, listen, listen. This would even be something good for you to memorize. Sometimes I, I, I get more excited than the people listening because I, I, I know what is coming and I know how transforming it can be. So what does that mean in his image to be the kind of people God intended us to be from the beginning? Wow. Wow. Here we are in, on planet Earth. <laughs> we're walking around. We're wondering who we are. We're trying to fill the empty places in our lives. We're tried everything. This didn't work. This didn't work. This worked for a little while. It doesn't work now. This doesn't work. I give up. I'm just sad. I'm just beat up. It's no use. I can't go one step further. So here we are on planet Earth trying to fill the empty places, and we're searching, and we're making foolish mistakes. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to stuff something into the empty parts of our lives. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. I like what the Apostle Paul said. Let's jump into the New Testament for just a moment. Here's what he says in essence. You don't have to live that way. You're living that way, you defeatist, by choice. You're living that way because that's what someone said you should live like and how you should feel and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Paul says, no, 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 you don't have to live that way. You, remember, are created in God's image. And yes, the image, your image, my image, yours, 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 and yours, everybody in here, image has been marred. But hear this, hear the preacher one time. Once again, you can reflect the glory, the image of Almighty God. Through Jesus Christ, you can be made full, you can be made whole, you can be made complete in Him and do the things that He set you on earth to do. In fact, Paul says it exactly. Can you believe Paul said it better than I just did? Oh, man. Okay, Paul, we give up again. It's in Colossians chapter 2. Part of verse 10, I want to just read these words. If this doesn't encourage you, if you're discouraged today, nothing's going to encourage you, but I think this will. Colossians 2.10, Paul says, And in Christ you have been brought to, can you say the word with me? Fullness. He is the, whole, the head over 
How many powers? Every power and authority. There is no fullness more full than that. <laughs> In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. When he said you are brought to fullness, another translation might say you are complete in him. <clears throat> the Greek word that's used there in the original, and it's translated in some uh, Bibles complete, others brought to fullness. Anyway, the Greek original word is a nautical word, not a naughty word, a nautical word, a naval term. And that statement could just as easily be translated and rendered like this. You, I love this, you are ready for the voyage of life in Christ. Woohoo! Isn't that a wonderful way of saying it? You, you will be made ready for the voyage. You say, well, what about the scars? What about the dents? What about the nicks? What about... What about all of that? Paul said, I bear in my, my, my body the scars of my life. But I'm pressing on. Remember, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Isn't it wonderful? You're ready for a voyage of life in Christ. And whatever you need for the voyage, guess what? You'll find in him. This is where we say, when people say, so, so what do you really believe and how do you boil it down? And you say, Christ is the answer. And I've had people who see that little saying or that bumper sticker and they say, oh, that's pretty funny. He's the answer. What's the question? Well, any question, any question. People have all kinds of questions today, don't they? People are running hither and thither, and they're going all over everywhere, all over Kelly's backyard to try to find out what's going on, and they can't put it together. And they're wondering what the question is. Their life is a question. But here's the answer. Christ is your answer. What's your question today? That's what I want to know. What's your need today? What do you have to have before you launch the voyage of life in Christ. Who, what, why, when, where. Those are the five questions of journalism. Or how. Are you being enticed by selfish lifestyles? Maybe you have people who have no interest in God and you're trying to be like them? Turn to Jesus. Just turn to Jesus. Are you being waylaid by the arguments of those seeking to put doubts in your mind? Then turn to Jesus. He's ready and willing to help you. I began this message several hours ago by telling you about funny man, Peter Sellers. And Peter said, I don't know who I am, Kermit. The real me, he said, doesn't exist. I don't know about you, but when I first heard those words, I felt rather sad for Peter. Did you? I caught that. It wasn't funny. That wasn't humor. Now, who am I? That's the question. Who are you? That's your question. Of all the other labels that I might have for myself, the one that counts the most is this. Unashamedly, 
I am a Christ follower. You have that label? I have been born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm born of the water and of the Spirit, and by God's grace, I am a Christ follower. The Bible says, I love those words, don't you? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things, not some things, not most things, not just your favorite things, or maybe things that you can't change, all things have become new, and it's all from God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Please, let's do a little exercise, because I want you to help preach this sermon. And I want the people who tune in later on or whenever it goes up. And I want that. And I have people, I don't know, all over the country, but I have some people that I'm very fond of that listen to this in Texas all the time. And I want them to hear you. So repeat after me, okay? I have a new life. I have been bought and paid for. By the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I am his. That is who I am. Give yourselves a hand. Great job. Dr. Bob Russell, before he retired, was the pastor of one of the largest churches in the United States. The great Southern Christian, Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And at that time, the chairman and evangelism outreach in that congregation, the head of it, was a man who was a medical doctor by trade. That was his profession. A man by the name of Dr. Sumi, S-U-M-I. Dr. Sumi never took a course in evangelism. He just loved God and he loved people and he couldn't stand to see people lost in their sins. So he went out to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. So one day they went calling together, Pastor Bob Russell and Dr. Sumi, and they went to this, I don't know if it was like projects, or but it was like a big apartment complex. And they went from apartment to apartment, ringing doorbells and passing out gospel tracts and listening, uh, witnessing to people and sharing their faith and opening the Bible for those that were open to it. And Dr. Sumi was so, this guy was so enthusiastic in what he was doing that Bob Russell said, he, he, he almost was over the top. Like, he said, sometimes I was, here, here's the pastor of a very famous church, and he said, sometimes I was almost embarrassed. I, I don't know. I, I think if you want to be embarrassed, be embarrassed for Jesus. That fell dead, didn't it? Bob said, here was this fine, upstanding, well-known, well-respected medical doctor who was just compelled to do one thing, to tell people about Jesus. So after they finished their time that afternoon, their calling was pretty well done, and they were heading home. And while they're driving along, Dr. Sumi looked over at Bob, and he said, Preacher, you know what? The church, our church, has so much more to offer I don't want any medical people to take offense to what, I'm, what he said, but he, this is the doctor speaking. He said, the church has so much more to offer than we have to offer at the hospital where I work. 
Bob Russell thought about that for a moment, and then he asked, he said, Doc, he said, what do you mean? Dr. Sumi answered, well, at the hospital, I can perform a surgery. I can make an incision. I can remove diseased parts of the body. I can sew that incision back up again, and I can give people <clears throat> a few more years of life. But here we're talking eternal life. We're talking about eternal life. Can you say that with me? Eternal life. What are we talking about today? Eternal life. Eternal life. Sometimes we need to sit back and ponder. Pondering's not daydreaming. Pondering is really worthwhile. And here's what we need to ponder. You and I both. Why in the world are we so concerned and anxious about things? Folks, you see, the only thing that really counts is whether or not Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. It's all that matters. In the long run, nothing else really matters. <clears throat> and with that in mind, and all that I've said thus far, I want to throw out a challenge this morning. And I'm going to pray that you'll accept my challenge. It is offered in love, and I pray, I've been praying about this before I ever came here today. It's offered in love, and I pray that it's offered in the power of the Holy Spirit to convict. I'm praying that you will respond to my challenge. It actually isn't my challenge, it's God's challenge. And accept the most wonderful gift that God could ever give a person. The gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, as was mentioned early on in the service, we have connect cards, and hopefully there's one near your seat or in front of where you're sitting in the seat back uh, uh, pocket there. This little connect card got a lot of information on it. You don't need to read all of it. You don't need to answer all the questions. But if you're here this morning and this message has brought it home to you and you know that your need is salvation, he needs to be your Savior. He needs to be your Lord. And you today are making that critical decision or that maybe some other decision in your life. Baptism is on there and other things that are very important to the Christian life. All I'm going to ask you to do as I throw out the challenge is to write your name on the front side of that card. And then if you want to write something below it or on the back, why you're accepting the challenge. Is it to, is it to, to live the life that God intended for you to live? Is it to live in the light of eternity, realizing that a doctor can sew us up and fix us up for a few more years of life, but right here, we're talking about eternal life. Eternal life. I've had people say to me, don't worry about me, Bob. You know, I can live without God and religion and the church. And I said, I don't have any doubt about that, but can you die without him? 
So if you would just, just use the Connect card, you can do one of two or three things. You can drop it in one of the boxes in the lobby. You can give it to one of the people maybe that uh, you came with and they'll pass it on. You can give it to me. You can come and see me after service, whatever. This is important stuff. And I think it's even more important when we take into consideration what a great and wonderful creation we really are. Because we are that human. We are that man of Psalm 8. We are that humanity. Who, what, and why? Let's bow for prayer. Loving Father, thank you for our precious congregation. Thank you for every person here. Thank you for the, the attentiveness and, and the willingness to listen and to, and to be taught and instructed and challenged. And, and, and Lord, today, if, there's, if there are those here that need you, they're, they're, they're outside of your family and they've never said an eternal yes to Jesus that today will be their day. And today they will make that commitment. Even as I pray, even as we begin uh, to, to worship once again in song, they would take the time, not put it off, not say, oh, well, another day I'll do that, or I'll take that home and think about it. No, but today while you're pleading, Holy Spirit, touch that heart, touch those hearts, move those people to make a final good decision. And Lord, for those that know you, and those of us, all of us, we're, we're scarred, we're damaged goods. Adam and Eve did the one thing they weren't supposed to do, and we followed suit. May have been one thing, may have been a hundred and one things, but you've made a way for us to be completely reconciled and brought and bought back into your family. Thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that sacrificial gift. Thank you that it offers eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Holy Spirit, thank you for your sweet presence. In Jesus' name.